0: This is Donna Honeycutt with WWC. And this is Lauren Weiner. I'm here this time to interview Lauren about business development. Um, it's something that happened fairly organically at the beginning of our uh, running the company. And we've now learned how to do it in a much more structured way. It's being led within our company by Lauren. And um, I think she has a lot of insights that might be helpful to some emerging small companies. Lauren, maybe you can start by telling us what are some of the differences uh, in business development uh, and marketing between the commercial world and government
1: services? The sales cycle in government is an entirely different sales cycle. Um, it really is. It's a, a much longer sales cycle. It is much more circumscribed in terms of uh, of the rules and the regulations and the fairness. You know, in in commercial sales, if they like you, They make a decision generally. Obviously, there's some larger businesses that go through an RFP process and whatnot, and certainly even some of the smaller businesses for some kind of services. But it's very different than the formal business development cycle and the proposal process and the selection process within the government. Uh, So it's it's an entirely different game. And when people come from the commercial sales world into the government world, it's kind of a shocker to, I think, most of them.
0: And I I think they get frustrated. And I think some vendors also get frustrated trying to do business with the government. Why is that?
1: Government sales are longer. They take longer. Um, The margins are much smaller, uh, which can be frustrating. The good news about government is they always pay. They might not always pay on time, but they always pay. And frankly, for us, it is what we know. Uh, We never started in the commercial world. We really don't work much In the commercial space, um, we work even in the commercial space, we work with the government end user customers for the most part. Uh, So for us, it makes a whole lot of sense. But for many of the firms, I've talked to a number of firms that have products or services that would be very attractive for the government, but they just won't do it. And what are their concerns? Again, probably margins most margins time most of all. And then, yeah. yeah, a business development cycle in the government, I'd say averages around eighteen months. Uh-huh. um whereas in the commercial sector, it's a whole lot less than that. It's often a month or two, right.
0: And so what are what is kind of the different approach that the government is expecting versus a commercial customer? So
1: the government has a number of different masters that it's serving, right? It is not only serving what is in the best interest of the government in terms of who has the best product or the best services at the best price, what is the best value for the government. They're serving multiple other masters. They're serving small business interests. They're serving constituency issues with Congress. They're serving... uh, based on appropriations timelines they're ser- they're serving all sorts of different masters that are not within the, the commercial world they are also incredibly under a microscope so and the, the 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 effect of protests in the government space has been over the last 15 years completely changed and really does Change the way that government procurements can be done effectively and quickly, um, except within certain small business set-asides or direct awards. At this point, the threat of a protest is, is almost ubiquitous.
0: So would you say that the government is a risk-averse buyer? Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. So yeah. how do you give the government comfort that your offering carries a minimum of risk?
1: There's a couple of ways. I mean, certainly as a small business, there are some... Opportunities to get into the government space either as a subcontractor first so that you can prove it um, or using small business status to allow for kind of a wedge into a new government contract uh, or a new government customer so that they have comfort that you can take on. One small bite to then be able to take on the much larger so bite. Small dollar, small risk. Right, mm-hmm. right, and that's what the small business program really is intended to be: is entree for small businesses into the government space. Um, and so, either as a subcontractor, and oftentimes that's the easiest way for your first bite into the government space, um, or as a small business set aside somehow one, one stripe or another. So
0: if there's one thing that you wanted our listeners to take away from this, uh, podcast about how to do business development within the government space, what would you want them to take away
1: about how to sell to the government? So, we talk in the in the BD team, at least in our firm, about three pillars that you need for to get an award, to get a, a government contract award. You need a bona fide need, hopefully from someone who really wants you to perform that need um, is the ideal, um, or that you can be competitive in that bona fide need. But it is a true, well defined, effective need that turns into essentially a statement of work or a performance work statement or a statement of objectives. Uh, But that bona fide need is one. The second piece that is really critical is money. So you need funding. You need real, honest to goodness funding that can be committed, that is that year's correct color of money, what have you. When you get those two The last piece that you need, and this is the part I think that trips up a lot of businesses and particularly small businesses most, is the contract vehicle, the way to get to you, the way to get you as a contractor. Now, the way you get to the bona fide need is hopefully either by kind of one of three things. You're either looking at a procurement forecast, you're looking at what's coming out And identifying how you are effectively poised to get that work, Um, you're having conversations outside of the procurement process um, that are helping determine what those bona fide needs are. So something where you're talking to a potential customer about some of the problems that they're facing without them realizing, hey, wait a second, a contract could help this. And so you can turn around and say, hey, wait, did you think maybe I can help you do that? So this is
0: sort of the classic commercial world approach of saying, you have a problem you haven't yet articulated. We're going to articulate the problem for you and then sell you our solution that is custom tailored to fix that problem that you have.
1: Right. Although you got to do it a little less salesy than that because the government does not particularly like the the old time kind of commercial sales approach. But if you can understand your customers or potential customers requirements um, and help them figure that out. And oftentimes what we do is we help them figure out at least a piece of it Mm -hmm. without asking for a contract. Mm -hmm. We sit and brainstorm with them. We sit and talk to them about what's vexing them. What's the biggest problem that they're facing. And once we do that, they then start coming to us for those brainstorming sessions. Again, without a contract in place, and we've now proven ourselves. We've got credibility within that space so that when they do have a bona fide need that has dollars against it, they're going to look to you and say, how do we get to you?
0: And Lauren and I started early on in the firm with a philosophy that you should do about 75% uh, of what you throw out there should be things that your customer already knows so that you can establish sort of compatibility and understanding and philosophy. You want to make your customer feel comfortable that you really do understand their business. The other 25% should be things that they might not have thought about, new ideas that you might be reading about or have experienced um, in managing your other contracts. And so, but it is very important first to establish that commonality of approach. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, so we'll talk, I think in another podcast, cause it's an entirely, it's probably two or three podcasts, frankly, about that vehicle, how to get to yeah. the end of it and how to get to that, that contract. But first and foremost, I think getting this, we can talk a little bit here about how to get to that, Statement of Work, Statement of Objectives, PWS, that requirement, that bona fide need. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? You know, how do you get into, how do you, do you have to, how do you get those relationships? How do you get those? And so we talk a lot within our BD team about trading on your, your own relationships within the government. If you don't have that, we, I hear a lot of firms come to me and say, but I don't have any relationships in the government. And that's a really big impediment, frankly, to selling to the government. Um, so you either have to go get those relationships through someone that you hire. You can, um, you absolutely can. One of the ways to do it is through the small business, uh, office. Sometimes the Ozdaboos, the Ozdaboos, um, some of them are much more effective than others. Some of them are willing to make introductions. We've had relationships with some where we just got a, a request last week. Hey, we've got this requirement. Our, one of my vice presidents had gone in and just made friends with the uh, the small business advisor at a certain agency. And she called and said, hey, they're looking for an 8A firm to do this work. It seems like it's up your alley. Can you pitch it? Two days later, we were on a phone call pitching a slide deck, and we are hopefully going to next week get a call saying, Hey, we're giving you this contract award. That was in an agency we didn't have any specific relationships at that point in. We are trying to develop those, and we've actually developed some of those already, even outside of this. But you can get in there, it's harder. You can also get to small business events. You can get to, you know, for SOCOM, for example, um, there's a SOFIC, uh, the industry conference. Um, if you're not at SOFIC, you shouldn't be playing in the soft world. Um, but it is also, it's, it's darn near impossible to just go to SOFIC and start walking around.
0: Especially if you weren't soft, Right. And especially right. if you weren't active duty. And so at that point, maybe you need to hire some people that were uh, or get some introductions from some people that were, or do interagency work that's applicable. And again, go into that 75, 25, you know, I understand your world, but here's what I understand that maybe you haven't mastered yet that I can bring to
1: the table. Right. We we've gotten ourselves into the, the soft community, the special operations community effectively, mostly because we walk into those rooms saying, look, I'm not a door kicker. I get it. Here's what I bring to you. I speak your language mm-hmm. because we've surrounded ourselves with a number of highly credible, like the most credible of the credible soft guys. You know, we've got the former commander of the Navy SEALs, uh, special warfare command, um, Sean Pibus, who is, Uh, with us. And he was deputy commander. He was deputy commander of SOCOM as well. Um,
0: But, but we would never go, Lauren and Donna would never go up to a special operator and say, let me tell you
1: how to kill bad guys and kick in doors. Right. We've got him to bring us the credibility, but we turn around and say, look, I'm not a door kicker. I'm not that person. But what I am is I can speak your language and I can translate between Frankly, all of the financial geekiness that I come from within the White House, within OMB, um, within the regulatory structure that you come from. Right. And with the organizational planning and governance
0: worlds that we come from, and apply that in order to free up your ability to go kick indoors
1: more, right. more frequently and more successfully. Right. But we got into SOCOM after, gosh, five years. Of building those relationships, yes. um, bringing the right people in, bringing a number of retired colonels mm-hmm. uh, to the to the fight, as it were, physically being in those spaces for right? being years. in
0: front of this customer,
1: right, and getting the credibility of knowing exactly what we can do and what we can't do, making those relationships, being visible, being effective within that community, so that. When the first contract came through, they thought of us, um, and then when the next contract came through, we had done well on the first contract, and we developed that that series of relationships. So now we are in the soft community, but we came at this with no relationships in the soft community, save for the fact that we lived in Tampa.
0: Exactly, but I I kind of want to loop back to sort of one of the original pieces of this conversation, which is a bona fide need, mm-hmm. and I'd like to have you speak about that in connection with bona fide value right? Yes. Um, I mean, we've seen a lot of companies that come to their customers and say, you have this problem. Trust me, really, you have this problem and we have the solution and, and here's our solution. You need it because you have
1: this problem and we know that you do. This is the aspirin test. Absolutely. We, we talk a lot about this in the firm Please, please talk about this. when, and we've seen it with a number of the large firms. RPAs is the newest one of these, this uh, robotic oh, processing. Like yes. The bots. Um, Everything looks like it's it's the the hammer and the nail. Everything when you're a hammer looks like a nail. Um, And so it is a requirement to say, hey, I've got this great product. I've got this great solution and you need this. Trust me. It's it's aspirin. It gives it takes away your headaches. Well, I don't really have a headache. No, you do have a headache. I promise you, you have a headache. You might think you have a stomachache, but it really you have a headache. And indeed, no, 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 no. I, I really do have a stomachache. Oh, you know what? Aspen's really good for stomach aches too. <laughs> um, but you've got to bring that to to your point, you've got to bring that value, that need and that solution that meets the needs of the customers that they actually have, not whatever you're trying to sell.
0: And just to be clear, I mean, you're selling to the federal government here. What you're bringing to the table can't just be, Hey, I'm here ready to get my hands dirty, willing to learn. Nobody's going to hire you because you're willing to learn. They want to hire you because you know something that they don't, you can do something that they don't. So again, you you have to be, I think, very realistic about what it is you're bringing to the table. You don't want to be all things to all people. Oh, please
1: don't believe I've gotten, uh, slick sheets from people, capability statements from people, uh, small businesses, and it is all over the board. Mm -hmm. Pick maybe two or three things. Fine. You might have five or six different capability statements that you give to different people. But if you give a capability statement that says, I do IT and operations, and I also do janitorial, and I do gun toting, and I do... Pick. Pick what you're good at. Pick what your niche is, particularly as a small firm. Now you can grow that niche. You can use
0: that, I think, as entry into other kinds of disciplines. For example, our first contract was with force protection. You and I had not been active duty. (laughs) We didn't know the first thing about force protection, but we certainly
1: knew about regulations and numbers and business case analyses. Well, and that's what the contract was for. So we didn't do, at that point, anything about the the subject matter it was the, the tools yeah. the the stuff that we brought to the table and we talked about that and we built out our business based on those tools not based on the subject matter of navy anti-terrorism exactly but on the finances on the regulatory requirements, and this and this legitimately was a
0: headache for these force protection folks that were trying to do their job and actually promote force protection. They didn't, you know, I don't think anyone had envisioned in their position description that they would be out there researching the granular details of the Geneva Convention. Right. Uh, so we were there to do it for them. I don't think that they imagined that um, part of their job description was to, you know, compare the cost of your analysis. We were there to do it for them. And so the point is not that you can't get entree into any particular organization, but that you need to bring real and actual value to the table that is a real and actual bona fide need on the part of your customer. So so how would you advise uh, emerging companies to identify what their value is?
1: Well, hopefully you know that before you go into business, frankly, uh, but if you don't, if you've now decided you're going into business, figure out for the first part of your company, what you're really good at um, yourself, because you want to be able to oversee everything that you're doing. For at least the first few years, we've gotten now to the point where I couldn't actually go in and do any of the jobs or many of the jobs that our, our employees do. But for the first probably five, six, seven years of the firm, you did them yourself. I could have, and frankly, oftentimes did do those roles myself. So figure out what your capabilities are as the owner, as the senior leaders of the business, and make sure you can oversee, because that's the only way you can quality control control is a very small business. That's correct. Yeah. I mean,
0: when we started getting into things like um, the IT realm, which is something, you know, that was the first time that neither Lauren nor I had really the skills and the education to be able to do the quality control there. It was very important for us to then make sure that we installed quality control on that. Going back to your first experiences with sales, tell me what you think are the dimensions of your personality that made you an effective sales person.
1: So within the government space, which right. is not,
0: you know, hardcore sales. Right.
1: Yeah. I'm not a salesperson. Um, and I say that consistently. I don't know that I could do real sales, um, but I am incredibly positive. Um, I have probably more energy than most, I would say. Much more energy than most. <laughs> um, and I really believe in what we're doing. Uh, Truly, truly believe that what we bring to the table is better than our competitors and what they bring to the table. And so it becomes very easy to be almost evangelical about the way that we do business because I can walk in there and say, with all sincerity, I can do that for you. And when I can't do it, I will be the first to say, we don't do that. We have a partner firm that does that, but we don't do that. We don't do that kind of work. So when they when I they hear me say, absolutely, let me show you how we've done that before. Let me show you what we've done. Let me talk to you about this. Um, it's kind of infectious. It's kind of exciting to that person. We can have that conversation. It's again, that 75-25. I'm parroting back to them 75% of what they know, but then giving them more to think about, um, and so I see this back in the day when we were first starting this, but I see this with you know a dinner that we had with someone that that could become a customer, where he was looking and saying, "Wow, y- you really understand this stuff. You you're getting excited about this. Your 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 energy is infectious." Mm-hmm. And so for me, and that doesn't have to be the way that everyone does business. Because Our, everyone has their own style. Absolutely. Yeah. Our vice presidents cut they cross kind of the entire spectrum yeah. of how they do sales. One of them is a true salesman of like the fuller brushman salesman kind of guy. Andre, I'll kill me for saying that, by the way. I um, have to go and identify him. I had to go and identify him. <laughs> but he is the old time salesman guy. He can walk in and sell anything to anyone. Jennifer is an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not comfortable walking in and pitching, but darn, is she good at it. She's fantastic because Be- she sits and she
0: listens very quietly. And then about 30 minutes into the conversation, she asks one question that shows that she understands everything that's been said and has potentially and worked synthesized out.
1: synthesized it into, yeah. and she- she absolutely evangelizes what her team has done. Mm -hmm. And that's how she feels comfortable is saying, let me show you what my team has done. And that's very comfortable for her. So we've got introverts, we've got extroverts, we've got people who have, you know, 30 year careers in the military, and then people who have not been within the government space Ever before joining the firm, and everything in between. So it's it's not a personality. Well, it's, it's pers- knowing your way of sorry, it, it, but it's knowing your way of connecting, and and that's the the critical piece of it is that connection.
0: And it does really come back to bona fide value, right? Because each of these people in their own way is bringing whatever it is, their enthusiasm, their ability to connect dots, their ability to solve problems, their past experience. Um, And I think that we actually gained a lot of credibility in our early days when we were asked to do things that we were not very good at and, and did not feel like we had a great body of experience or education to do. And we said, listen, you're, or if it was something that they, the government could do in house. And we said, listen, we're happy to come in and show you how we would approach this, but really your staff is sufficiently capable of doing this. You just sort of need a framework and we'll give you that framework. Mm -hmm. Um, nobody trusts you more than when you tell them, no, 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 I don't need your money. And, uh, because we, we don't like to fail. We didn't do that.
1: So there is so much more on sales. And I think this is probably literally four, five, six different podcast topics. So maybe we can break these out from here. But hopefully this at least is the first kind of take on the sales cycle and the government and how it works uh, is useful. Join us next time and we'll talk a little bit more about the the way government contracting works. Thanks.